0: talking today about some power words out of the Proverbs, and the last few days I've been thinking about power words and power tools, and it dawned on me that most of you have not had the pleasure of visiting our garage and seeing my tool uh, collection, and I thought, well, I can't invite you all over, but, (laughs) but I can bring it to you. uh, I'm of the conviction that it cannot be fixed with a hammer or a vice grips. It should be replaced or you don't need it. That's my thought. But recently I went to uh, Pastor Brad's uh, shop. And Audrey, I don't know how much you've contributed to this, but I am impressed. I didn't know if I was in Lowe's or Home Depot or or Brad's shop right there, and I was a little embarrassed about my hammer today, and so I asked Brad if I could borrow something, and (laughs) this, my friends, is a power staple gun, a nailer, and Brad trusts me so much, and he has so little regard for your health and safety (laughs) that he actually kept it armed here, and uh, if I don't point it at the wrong direction here, we're all going to be safe today. Yeah, power tools power words. The light came on. I don't know how it goes off. I'm not going to push any other buttons, any other buttons here. I want to keep you all safe today. Let's go right to the Proverbs and take a look at what the Bible says about our words. I'm going to ask you to read out loud, boldly with me together. Don't bother with the number references at the end. Together, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Gracious words are a honeycomb. Sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Kind words heal and help. Cutting words wound and maim. Rash language cuts and maims, but there is healing in the words of the wise. Hmm. Tools. Well, I guess you can do uh, this job of parenting uh, either with the right tools or you can just use a hammer for everything. You can be good at demolition, in a life or in a home, or you can be good at construction. And today, I hope to give you some things that will help you answer your desire to be a builder instead of a destroyer. Now, many of you have outlines. I'm glad you took them on the way in. Let me just give you a heads up that for the first few minutes in the first half of this talk, uh, I'm not going to be referring now to the outline, but then we're going to be going to that in the second half as I talk about some helpful hints, not only for parents, but for the rest of us as well. But first of all, let me just talk with us about where some of us may be experiencing life today on this Father's Day. Let me give you my take. We react to other people and circumstances. That's why cussing comes so quick and easy. So you smash your finger in the car door, and because most of you are better people than me, you say to yourself, that was painful. I shouldn't have done that. I'll try to do better next time. I wonder if some first aid would be appropriate here. Or you might abbreviate that down, as I do, sometimes to a one-syllable phrase. You understand? Why does this happen? Why is it the part of our brain reacts so fast before we actually think about it? Well, actually, God has designed us that way. Not to cuss, mind you, but, but he's designed our limbic system to actually respond faster, react faster, than our executive center, the limbic system, that notices danger, and before we even think about it and rationalize through it with the frontal cortex, our limbic system begins, system begins to immediately just surge uh, crazy hormones through our body. So there's cortisol and there's adrenaline, and all of a sudden our heart rate begins to increase a little bit, and our uh, our, our, our eyes begin to dilate, and and. And blood begins to rush to our legs in case we're going to run, and, and blood goes to our shoulders and our arms in case we're going to stay and fight, and, and we are really, our digestive system shuts down because if you're being chased by a hungry tiger at night, it doesn't really make much sense if your digestion is good or not, and all of this happens before you think about it. And by the way, whenever you are chased by a hungry tiger at night, this really serves you well. Yeah. But when's the last time you've been chased by a hungry tiger at night, other than when your kids tried to talk you into a monster under the bed? I know. This is the problem for us in modern, safe culture. We are wired to respond to danger, and we respond to emotional, relational issues just like we would respond to life-threatening, physical danger. And so I asked the question: what would it look like if instead of waiting to react to outside stimulus, if we thoughtfully chose in advance how to respond, to be proactive? This is what we read in the last of the four Proverbs today. Rash language cuts and maims, that's what comes out fast. But there is healing in the words of the wise. That's what comes out from deep. So let's talk first about where some of us came from. Some of us here at Evergreen have really broken parents. I want to acknowledge that today. One of the things that few people forget is how your parents caused you to feel, especially as you were a kid. Because Moms and dads are unforgettable figures in our life. Unforgettably positive, unforgettably negative, and in most cases, a mixed bag of both. Your memories about your father and your mother tend to influence decisions you make across your lifetime. Far after we leave home, our parents' influence continues to be significant. In yesterday's Portland, Oregonian newspaper A columnist wrote an article, Giselle Williams, I want to quote a bit of the start of her column. I was at the store recently looking at Father's Day cards. There was a colorful array of messages conveying loving, thankful sentiments. It went like this. Dad, thank you for all the love, support, wisdom, guidance, strength, encouragement, advice, help, and wonderful memories. Thank you for making a difference in my life. Thank you for teaching me so much. Thank you for being a great role model. You get the idea. I could not find an appropriate card to send to my father. Nothing quite captures my memories. Thank you for not being there all of those years. Have a nice day anyway. Thank you for not providing for me. Thank you for not giving me a sense of security or worth. Thank you for not showing me any love or for not making me feel worthy of love. Thank you for not showing up at my high school or college graduations or to my wedding. Thank you for inflicting sorrow on me, my brothers, and my mother. These are, are their Father's Day cards for people whose Fathers walked out on them who failed to show up for visits, who didn't support them financially or emotionally. My dad abandoned me and my mother and my two brothers before I was born. But he returned for about a month and then left for good. He dumped my mom for a young girlfriend who went on to become his second wife. I saw him occasionally while I was growing up, and then only once a year, if that. Not only was he not there for me, but at times he was an actively negative, force in my life. She goes on in the middle of the column by describing how she's processed that an adult, the apology that she once received from her father and the forgiveness that she extended, but that now in his 84th year, she's not sending a Father's Day card because he decided the best way to deal with that failure was to have no communication with her for the rest of his life. Hmm. Some of us had very broken parents. Counselors refer to these memories as tracks or files that we play in our minds that come from the echoes of words that parents placed there. Destructive phrases like, you're stupid, you can't do anything, you're fat, you're ugly, you're lazy, you're slow, you're clumsy, you're more trouble than you're worth. Or maybe like the the Christian dad who... Our friend, when frustrated with his 13-year-old son, would just say in frustration, I guess they'll just take care of you when you're in prison. Huh. Lots of evergreeners play memories like that. And unless those MP3 files that loop around in one's mind are acknowledged and edited and remastered, they can wreak havoc in our life and the lives of others around us because parents are unforgettable, positively and negatively. Before we move on, I want to encourage any of us that, that are dealing with those kinds of destructive memories. And I want to say to you, shame and humiliation, those very deep emotions are real and they're powerful. And As any counselor would tell you, We can't get past things unless we allow them to surface and we look at those facts right in the face and we deal with those. We bring them forward so that we can express them and process them so that we can move on in a helpful and a healthy way. I wonder if this is why Jesus, in almost two-thirds of his words, made direct or indirect reference to forgiveness. The story of the only way forward to bring things to light and to the surface so we can get them out and before him, maybe, maybe with a trusted friend or maybe with a counselor, but mostly before him. And in that context, we acknowledge and we forgive and we invite his healing. So if that describes you today, I encourage you to reach out. I encourage you to let this Father's Day be a significant turning point in your life where you can move forward in a helpful and healthy way. Now, in the second part of this talk, and turning back now to content that you'll find in your outline, I want to offer some practical advice to parents. Now, I'm just looking around today, and many of you are parents, but not all of you are engaged in raising kids right now, and some of you don't have kids. I just want to say that almost everything I have to say in the second half will relate specifically to relationships that you have but I'm going to do it from a parent's point of view as we talk today. I want to identify four phrases that will make you a positively unforgettable person in the life of kids and others. Let's begin with the phrase that I'm convinced is the very most important phrase of all that kids want to hear more than any other, and I think you know what it is. I love you. Yeah. I love you, Liam. I love you, Noah. I love you, Emma. I love you, Olivia. By the way, I chose those four words because in 2018, those are the top two boys and girls' names on the favorite baby name list in the United States of America. And if you're interested in what number three and four and five are, those are going to be coming up in the rest of the talk as well. So here we go. Experts say that for a child to develop healthy self-regard, she must sense an irrational love coming from her parents. Irrational love. Love that makes the kid feel treasured and not just tolerated. The same kind of love Father God has for you. Paul tells us about this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Notice as I read, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is irrational love. Parents, listen. If your child is 4 or 24 or 44 he or she still wants to hear about your irrational love for them. And with my experience with two kids, it's not just as easy as saying the three magic words, I love you. Because you can convince your kid today that you love her, but tomorrow she's going to have a love deficit. Because kids are leaky when it comes to love. And you need to sign up for the unlimited refill plan with those kids. Irrational love. And if that weren't enough, I think one of the great challenges of parenting is that the way you express love today in the life of a kid needs to be changed as they develop and mature over time. For example, my adult daughter needs to be... Uh, I need to express love to her in ways now that are quite different than I did in years past. And let's make this even more complex. The way I expressed love to my adult daughter may not meet the love needs of my adult son. But can I make this challenge four-dimensional now? God has blessed me with a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law that I have to be students of, too, and figure this thing out. You can pray for me. Here's the deal. I love you is dynamic over time, and particularly. What I'm saying is that we face the lifelong challenge The complex challenge of studying our children and modifying our approach and how we express love to them over time, over different phases of their lives, and to their individual needs so that they feel personally loved. This, folks, is a major league challenge. So parents, let me ask you some pesky rhetorical questions. Are your kids going to be able to play back MP3s over the course of their life and the echo they hear is, I love you? Dads and moms, do you say these words enough? Do you write them down on Post it notes and stick them where your kids are going to see them? Do you change your approach as your children mature so that you, as they develop? Do you love your children now enough to give them boundaries so that they know that love includes the setting of limitations for their good? Do you study your children so that you know individually how to meet their love needs? I hope so. Before I move on to the second phrase, I want to tell you that for some of us, this is very difficult. As simple as those words are, I love you, they can be very difficult for some of us to say. I'm aware of that in my own experience. I grew up in a deeply loving and safe home and environment, but I cannot recall as a child or as a student ever hearing either of my parents say those words to me, I love you. There was no question about being loved, but the words were not said. One day it dawned on me that the Bible says this, love both in word and word and deed. That's a struggle for me. I come from a family context, temperament and personality, and third, my own definition of friendship that are all provide limitations for me that make it difficult for me to say those words. I also recognize that I have the privilege and the responsibility as a generational interventionist in my family tree to be the one that turns the corner and to say, I love you. And I encourage some of you today that have found those words difficult to say for whatever reasons, to take the courage, to experiment your way forward. Every kid needs to hear, "I love you." The second powerful phrase might surprise you a little bit. It's: "I'm sorry." Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry." "I'm sorry, Oliver. I'm sorry, Ava or as I practiced in my home. I'm sorry, Jordan. I'm sorry, Hillary. I want you to notice what the Proverbs have to say about this. Proverbs 14, verse 9 says, Fools make fun of guilt, but, here it is, the godly acknowledge it and seek reconciliation. Now, I know that some of us learned that, that real men, strong men, Strong dads don't say I'm sorry, but I want to challenge that today, and I want to ask this question. If God says in the Bible that godly people acknowledge their guilt and seek reconciliation, is there anyone more important in your life to acknowledge your failure and to be reconciled with than your family? We would say no. Parents, it seems to me that when we make a mistake that we have a choice. We can either own up and say, I'm sorry, or we can lie about it, or we can shift the blame to someone else, or we can rationalize it and cause our kids to be confused or angry. Dads and moms, do we say, I'm sorry enough? Do we apologize our children when we become short with them or discourteous to them? Or do we say we're sorry when we break a promise to be at that game or that talent show or at that dinner time? Do we model repentance to them when we lose our temper or let a little bit of our workplace slang pop out? The phrase, I'm sorry, can become a treasure that plays in the mind of your children for the rest of their lives. And our children will be able to say, my parents were not perfect, but when they goofed up, they felt really terrible about it. And they said, I'm sorry. And they really did mean it. I love you. I'm sorry. The third phrase really packs a punch. It's, I believe in you. (laughs) Tell your kids that you believe in them. Express your confidence in them and affirm their talents and compliment their accomplishments and Tell them by faith with your irrational love that you trust their decision-making attempts. You can go out there. When one of you, as a dad, hears your kids say, I just can't do it. Or you, mom, hear the kids say, "I, I just can't do anything right. You can say, Mason, that's not true. You do all kinds of things right. You ride your bike right and when it breaks, you fix it right. And you treat your family and your friends pretty well. And you do the chores around the house pretty well. You do a lot of things right, Mason. Now, you might need to practice this thing that's frustrating you right now, but I know you can get it. I know because you're sharp and because you work hard. You can do this, Mason. I believe in you. Now I believe that parents who love encourage, And I believe that because of the Bible. Notice what these two verses say as Paul writes to two different groups of people. The first one must be on the screen. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Great parenting verse, by the way. You can take all four of those home with you. And then he writes, Encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Let me ask this question. Where better than home is a place for kids to be encouraged and built up? Listen, folks, we're raising kids and they might be your grandkids it might be nieces and nephews it might be kids in your neighborhood it might be it might be kids here at Evergreen we are raising kids in a wildly changing world it's breathtaking accelerated change going on in education and in business and in politics and one of the gifts that you have that you can give kids is a gift of confidence We're told that nothing builds confidence in a child more than a relationship with a significant adult like a parent that invests belief and confidence in that child. You can do it. You can. You've got what it takes. I believe in you. Think about Jesus and what a great encourager he was of others. One of our favorite stories is of Jesus and Peter His name was Simon, which was a fine name, but one day Jesus said to him, I'm going to give you a a new name. And he, He was talking to this guy named Simon, who was pretty emotional and unreliable and relatively unstable and was the least likely to get this new name. And Jesus said, I'm going to call you Peter from now on. It means rock. Because I see something in you, Simon, that I'm going to use as one of the foundation stones on which I am going to build my church. Simon, you're rock-like. And Simon, every time you hear me call you Peter, you're going to be reminded of my belief in you, my belief in your faith, my belief in your future. I see a rock in you. I believe in you. And you know, pretty much, Peter lived up to Jesus' belief in him. And I think pretty much usually kids live up to our belief in them. As you say, I believe in you, you will embed those words in your child's mind for life. Well, first, I love you. Second, I'm sorry. Third, I believe in you. Here's the fourth one. I'm praying for you. Isabella a father says as he tucks his daughter in bed. I prayed for you today. I prayed for you that at school that you would feel God's presence and his love. And I prayed today that God would protect you and that he would guard you. I prayed for you today. Or Lucas the mom says to her high school just graduated senior I prayed for you today at lunch. I shut my office door, and I prayed for you. I prayed that you would discern truth from error in this tough world. I prayed that you choose your college friends wisely this fall. I prayed that God would guide you toward a major and toward a career that makes sense for you. I prayed that you would invest your life in more than just Chasing the American dream. I prayed that this summer that your relationship with Jesus would just grow by leaps and bounds. And I prayed that over your life that you would love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lucas, I prayed for you today. And I prayed for you yesterday. And I'll pray for you tomorrow. I prayed for you. So let me ask: do your children know that you? Pray for them, and you can ask them what they would like for you to pray for them, because this is the powerful thing that happens for the child. The kid concludes, well, my dad not only talks about God, my dad talks to God about me. My mom and God have conversations about my future. Apparently my future is an important deal my parents pray for me. On the second side of your handout, there are five proverbs that I've rewritten into the form of prayers. And this week, I encourage you to use those if you like, and you may, if you don't have kids, you can feel free to pray for other significant uh, people that are in your life as well. But it'll give you a jump start if you struggle with knowing how to pray and how you can pray for them this week. Listen, folks, as we start to conclude, your words are powerful, powerful words. Gazelle Williams concludes her essay yesterday with these two paragraphs. To all the fathers out there who are good parents, I say, what you do matters. To the fathers who love and support their children, I applaud and praise you. I see dads coaching baseball and soccer, teaching and playing with their children, and it gladdens my heart. Dads walking their kids to school, hooray for you. And when I see a father walking hand in hand with his daughter or with his son on his shoulders, I feel wistful. But I also think, ah, that is so sweet. You dads who volunteer at your kids' schools, helping with reading, sports, or band, championing, chaperoning field trips or activities, you're awesome. And fathers who lead with scouting groups and teach Sunday school or simply hang out with your children, letting them know you care, you matter. You make your children feel that they matter. And I wish a happy Father's Day To all the fathers who do support and love their children and to my fellow human beings whose fathers abandoned you or mistreated you, I wish you a day of forgiveness and peace. Maybe your father didn't make you feel loved or worthy of happiness and good things, but you are worthy. You matter. Hmm. Well, as the band returns... (laughs) Maybe your uh, parenting tool set will never be as uh, beautiful and as complete as Brad's. But today, each of us are going home with a lot more than just my hammer. And I hope that this week, you'll have the courage to step out in your relationship with kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, and other significant kids in your world, young and old. And you'll have the courage to tell the truth. And that you'll love in word and deed. I love you. I'm sorry. I believe in you, and I'm praying for you. I know that that's what God has in mind for us, and I know that as you do that, you will be positively unforgettable. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. God, we sang earlier today. You're a good, good Father, and That really is who you are. The only one that's perfect. And today we come to you, perfect God. We confess our sins and we receive your forgiveness. We acknowledge that others have sinned against us and we forgive those debtors. We have failed And Lord, we want to do what we can to reconcile. Fill us, Holy Spirit, with your love and your courage this week so that we can be unforgettably and powerfully positive in the lives of others. Give us the courage to say, I love you, the humility to say, I'm sorry the energy to say, I believe in you. And Lord, give us the ability to say with credibility, I am praying for you. Help us reflect you, Father, in Jesus' name. This week, would you say together with me? Amen. Amen.